Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. This is Asia Tech Podcast. We are back. My name is Graham Brown, your host for the Asia Tech Podcast series. We're going to be talking about what matters in Asia right now and what matters for the next decade because this is a continent of great change. Two-thirds of the world's middle class will be living here by 2030. Asia now does more trade with itself than it does with the rest of the world. And you only have to look at what's coming out of Asia in terms of tech to understand that this is a very exciting place to be. We haven't even talked about the markets of billions yet. Obviously, half the world's population and more live in Asia. So what does it all mean? I mean, we can talk about the numbers, but I would like to talk about really what matters. And the numbers really just are a guide. But what's going on in Asia right now? I want to talk about and share with you in this new series of podcasts on Asia Tech Podcast, all about digital transformation in Asia, in particular, also how podcasting comes to play in that story, because it's all about storytelling. If you think about what digital transformation is, transformation really means change. It's a change from one shape to another shape and really means this is the old model of business. This is the new model of business. How do you tell that story and how are brands doing that successfully? So we hear a lot about what's coming out of China at the moment. I don't just want to talk about China because I don't live in China. I live in Asia. I live here in Singapore. So it's a great vantage point to see all the Asian markets. And I have to say that one of the mistakes I feel people make when talking about Asia is just talking about China and Chinese consumers in China. The real story of Asia and the Asian century is the story of Asia, and in particular, how Chinese consumers impact the rest of Asia. So if you listen to Asia Tech Podcast Bangkok recently, you would have heard our run through the night markets of Bangkok. And we were looking at how, for example, Chinese consumers are even impacting that, how Chinese tourists are changing Asia. Places like Thailand, I mean, you walk up to a stall that sells bugs, insects. And by the way, if you want to hear what it sounds like to eat a scorpion, then I did that for you on Asia Tech Podcast Live. Um, a slight aside there, but really all about capturing the soundscape that is podcasting. So the, the Chinese tourists in Thailand paying with Alipay or WeChat Pay at night markets, you know, hawker stands in Thailand. So that sort of impact, how does that impact Asia? How does that impact vertical sectors? And I also want to talk about how podcasting really is coming to the fore here in Asia. Only last um, few weeks, Gojek, the Uber platform, and I use Uber obviously as a pun. It's the platform which is effectively a knockoff of Uber in the US, but so much better. Gojek originated from Jakarta, Indonesia, started as a ride sharing app for motorbikes, but now you can do everything on Gojek from ordering your laundry to ordering a maid, a massage, watch TVs, watch movies, pay. So it really is a complete lifestyle app, which is amazing, really. So you have effectively an app very much in the, the, the same form as one of those Chinese Uber apps, like a Meichuan, for example, which started as a Groupon and now does everything in your life now that it's merged with another app. So here we have 
a very different approach to developing technology in Asia as you would maybe get in Silicon Valley. This is what I call market-focused versus mission-focused. So take Uber, for example, very much a mission-focused business. How do we create great ride-sharing? So, you know, we will create a ride-sharing app and we'll be the best ride-sharing app sharing app that we can in the world whereas an asian provider platform will be market focused which is we will do something really well and prove our functional competence and then from that we will build your trust as a provider holding your payment details and then we'll provide you all different kinds of services that's why for example if you look at wechat in china it can do pretty much everything it is the internet for most people you can even you know, get your passport renewed on WeChat. So we're seeing that sort of development, which basically means, in bringing this round, platforms are the evolving model of these huge businesses here in Asia. And the the challenge for a platform is that 95% of the value a platform creates from the customer lies off its payroll. So what does that mean? In the old school model, think of businesses as pipelines organized in departments, functional silos, where all the skills and assets were organized around one function. That could be like the legal department, for example. And it very much was organized as a silo. And if you go back to my digital transformation podcast, example I give is General Electric. So GE, I think in their their legal department, they had like 1,200 lawyers just doing litigation, contracts, arbitration, and so on. So that's very much an old school model of business. Yet the digital transformation piece is moving from that pipeline to a platform. So now you have this model like Gojek and like its competitor Grab, and also the companies that I'm working with at Pitch Media Asia producing their podcasts. So companies like AirAsia, and companies like Xero, the accounting software company. Effectively, these are platforms that want to occupy as large a piece of the customer's life as the customer wants them to, is willing to let them in based on the services they can provide. So that basically means they have to work with these ecosystem of partners who don't get paid in the traditional way in that functional silo. So you could have tech partners, you could have supply chain partners, you can have all kinds of different partnerships within an ecosystem. But what connects those people together? So for example, if you were a Gojek tech partner or a Gojek marketing partner, you don't belong to Gojek. Gojek doesn't own you and Gojek doesn't pay you a salary. So how do these companies connect all the dots? Because what tools do they have available to to them the traditional tools pr advertising events and so on these are just you know these are tools available to perform specific functions but there is no tool out there and obviously this is what we're going to talk about today there is no tool out there for these companies these platforms to tell their story to connect people to join the dots to plant a flag create that tribe and let people rally around. And that is where I believe podcasting comes in because if you are going to tell a story, you have to tell a story in an authentic human way. 
Now, you can do it through advertising, but advertising takes a certain form. It has, uh, you know, it's familiar with storytelling, but it's not authentic in the same way that podcasting is because advertising almost inevitably uses actors. And even when they pretend to be real people, they happen to be actors. And we're seeing this as well. If you look at Instagram as an example and how brands are now advertising on Instagram. What seems to be the case is they employ influencers. Now, an influencer really is no different from back in the day when a brand like Procter & Gamble or Unilever, for example, would hire housewives to tell their brand story to say, oh, since I bought Tide powder, you know, my washing's been whiter than white. And they would be interviewed on the doorstep by a film crew. And it will be somehow concocted in a way to look amateur and slightly on the street when the whole thing was staged and unauthentic. That is advertising. That's fine. It has a place, but it doesn't tell a human authentic story. PR, on the other hand, does... A, it has a similar kind of objective to get a message out to a market or to a group of people. But again, it's clipped, it's edited. And there are 50, 60 years of legacy experience and best practices which contain PR, which are not going to change overnight. So open up the door now to podcasting as a way for brands to tell their story and also individuals. So when I did the Tony Fernandez podcast, one of the reasons I believe that Tony did the podcast with me is because he has all those channels available to him. He has PR, he has advertising, etc., etc. And he's speaking at every single event. He's speaking. You look at his Instagram channel and you'll see him talking on stage regularly. So he has all of that. So why would he then choose to go to a podcaster like me and do his podcast on Asia's Head Podcast? The reason I believe is because it allowed him to tell his story on his terms, in his voice. When we recorded the podcast together, one of the conditions was I wouldn't edit it unless there was a real screw up. And I wouldn't send him the questions beforehand. I did send a, a basic outline, which is fair enough. And the communication people would want that. They're doing their job. They want to make sure I'm no joker. But it wasn't scripted because people can smell scripted conversation. They can smell a scripted dialogue, monologue. Like this now. I'm talking to you now without any script. I'm looking at my podcast report, which I want to share some data from in to you in a minute. Yet, I don't have a script in front of me because I would rather do this raw and live and authentic and make mistakes so, such that you know that it's coming from that place rather than scripting it. Because what is the point of scripting something? And what is the point of having those fake doorstep interviews with quote unquote housewives? Because people know that it's not real anymore. And it doesn't work. People want authentic. You know, back in the day, they said live music was, sorry, music was going out because of digital. They said digital would kill music, yet music is in the best health it's ever been, particularly live music. 
Why do people like live music? Because they've heard this song hundreds, thousands of times. And I'm just walking to the office this morning listening to Spotify. And I'm listening to music that I listened to 30 years ago. So on rotation, I'm listening to The Smiths or The Stone Roses or The Clash, for example. You know, music from my era. And I've heard these songs thousands of times. Why do I keep listening to them? Then why would I pay more money to go and watch The Stone Roses live? Hundreds of dollars. Because watching it live is an experience. And the experience is made better by the fact that it could all go wrong. So when you watch sport, if you watch a game, and you know the score, it's very different from watching it live and not knowing how that's going to go. It could go either way. It could be a moment of genius, or it could go completely wrong, and that guy gets shot down in flames. And that is what we love, because we love that experience on the edge. It's real, it's human, and it's authentic. And if you look at, for example, human history and look at human culture and look at heroes and look at narratives, go to the movies, the heroes we love are the heroes who have vulnerability. What do I mean by that? You know, Superman is only likable by the fact that he's vulnerable and his vulnerability is uh, Lois Lane and Kryptonite and I think if you look at any superhero, and I use that sort of in extreme, they're not just superheroes. You look at your average detective. So someone like a, a Columbo, for example, who was an amazing detective who was so smart and insightful. And he did his one last thing question when he would walk out of the room talking to a suspect. And it would be that question that he would nail the suspect with. Yet his personal life was a mess he would drink whiskey, he would come from a broken marriage. We love those kind of heroes because they're vulnerable, they're human, they're us, they tell our story and their vulnerability makes them more real to us. So if you think about all the su superheroes or heroes in movies, they all have weak points because if they don't have a weak point, then we like them less. We can't relate to them. They seem plastic, they seem wooden. And that is the problem with brands at the moment and going all the way back to the Gojeks, the AirAsias, the Grabs and so on is that they appear wooden unless they present a human face or a human voice. Now, think about the news recently and think about, for example, Huawei. Who the hell is the founder of Huawei? Nobody knows. And that is why... I believe Huawei has become a target for political point scoring. Think about it. If Huawei's founder was as known as Steve Jobs, or even, and I know that people will criticize and say, well, Asians don't do that. Well, think about Tony Fernandez in AirAsia. Think about, for example, Jack Ma and Alibaba. Think about, for example, and if you know the history, people like the founders of Xiaomi, who are well known in China and Asia, yet Huawei is extremely faceless. And being a faceless IT giant worth billions that operates in the background, in the shadows, and has their tentacles in every operation of government and large IT organization around the world makes people 
a little bit nervous because who the hell are these guys? Now, I'm just playing a position which is the position of the point-scoring politician. I don't believe that, but I sympathize with, empathize, sorry, with them. And that is that I believe that Huawei's position as this faceless IT giant is their own communication failure. If Huawei had humanized their brand, it would be very different. Alibaba is a great example. Alibaba possibly yields more political and economic power than Huawei ever will do. Yet Jack Ma is out there. His funny face is appearing at Davos and he's telling his story. And even though he's retired now from Alibaba, his legacy lives on. That is the Alibaba we know. We like Jack Ma. I like his story about when he first started Alibaba. So he tells this story where he goes to the US, I believe, and he's studying in the US, and he's sitting in a cafe, and he's scratching down on a piece of paper ideas for his business that he's going to start. This was sort of early dot-com days, mid-90s. And he writes down a name for a business, and he pulls over the waitress, and he says, um, do you know Alibaba? And the waitress says, yes, open sesame. Now, it's an apocryphal tale. I'm sure it didn't happen quite like that. But good on Jack for telling that story. It basically helps humanize the brand because telling that story in his manner, it's cute. It's, you know, we can understand where he's coming from. And it puts him in the box of all those origin myths, those origin myths that we learn about. Like, for example... Michael Dell in the garage, or Steve and Wobbs building the first Apple computer. We love origin myths all the way back to the parables and the, you know, every country, every religion has this origin myth and these create great brands as well. Singapore has an origin myth with, you know, in, in most recent times, Lee Kuan Yew the founding father or the grandfather or however you want to describe him of Singapore. And before him, the pioneers, so Stanford Raffles and so on, who came to Singapore, and, you know, planted their flag in the sand. That's, that story is a story we relate to. We, we know the origin myths of countries like Australia, the origin myths of China, the Long March. And of course, probably the most famous being the origin myths of the United States, the founding fathers, the war of independence, the civil war, all of that. Now, that is humanizing a brand. So these brands, if you like, countries, use these stories to connect people, use these stories to literally plant a flag and let people rally round. So how important those origin myths are, for example, in the United States, because we keep telling those stories day in, day out, at school, when your kids, in the movies, they get reincarnated in different forms in the movies, and they become the thread, the fabric of our culture. And really, when you think about culture, culture really is just stories. There is no manual. If you look at the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution of the United States. It's just a piece of paper. 
Yet there is no manual about how it is to behave, how it is to think, how it is to relate to the world, how it is to be American. All of those values are inculcated in the interactions we have between each other on a daily basis, the stories we tell each other, the stories we tell to the masses through the media, and the stories that we tell ourselves. So the point being is that storytelling is a very powerful way of creating and communicating a brand. And it becomes even more important in 2020 when brands are moving from this pipeline model of business where they don't control the storytelling to this platform business like the Gojeks, the AirAsias and the Grabs and the Alibabas where you now have thousands of entities within your network who don't necessarily subscribe to the same views, the same beliefs. How do you now tell stories. In the same way, the USA, for example, does not have any kind of official American Bible that they tell stories to their kids with. I think the situation is the same. If you look at the USA or any country, for example, as the modern digitally transformed platform, where you have many, many different interests all joined by this belief system how do you then communicate that how do you create that belief system for example if i'm air asia now i have moved the goalposts of my business from being an airline to a digitally sorry to a digital travel company so tony fernandez the founder of air asia has gone on record as saying that they want to move from being an airline to a digital travel company which is a very bold move yet in an airline everything is controlled literally everything is in a tube right and you know who your pilots are you know who your flight crew are you know who your marketing department is and you control the brand now if i'm a digital travel company I'm dealing with hotels, tours, local guides, experiences. I might be selling beauty products, perfume, music. Now I'm an ecosystem where everybody has their own agenda. How do I unite these people in the same way that America unites people with its story? And this brings us full circle to podcasting. Because I believe podcasting is the most effective way of creating a tribe and it means that we're in the right place at the right time and the right place is asia and the right time is 2020 when we are seeing a whole generation of companies move from pipeline to platform and what's going to happen is the key flip in the marketing budget spend is going to be i'm a platform I'm AirAsia, I spend X million every year on advertising. Now, why do I spend all that money on advertising? I spend that money on advertising because I wanna send my message to random strangers and see if they then become customers. Now, that was the pipeline model. What's changed is the platform model. Now, I have your payment details. When you sign up for big pay, 
I now know who you are and I have your payment details. And if you look at the platforms here in Asia, that is the way to go. Alibaba has Alipay. WeChat has their own payment system. Grab, the taxi ride-sharing service. Grab Pay. Gojek has a payment system. Everybody is launching a payment system here in Asia. The reason is, is because if I know who you are and I have your payment details, I don't have to spend millions and millions of dollars trying to find out where you are. And that therefore means advertising will go away. Advertising in the sense of random, big idea, advertising, putting messages up on billboards to random strangers, telling us how amazing a brand you are and what your story is, that will disappear. And the reason it will disappear is because the big idea will be replaced by big data. They do exactly the same thing. And people are saying that data is the new oil. And I would disagree with that. Data is not the new oil. Data only enables us to find out who that person is and therefore win their attention. Attention is the new oil because in the platform era, in the digitally transformed era, attention is your biggest cost. You may know who the customer is, but if I'm not paying attention to them, it's a waste of money. All that data is wasted. What matters is attention. So if I was spending millions on advertising and billboards to win your attention, what if now I can spend millions on data collection to win your attention? Because if I have you on my app and your payment details, I have your attention. I'm going to send you, and I just open up my Grab app on the phone right now. As an example... Opening up my Grab app, which is a ride-hailing app, which I use on a daily basis. And it has an inbox. And it says, message from Grab at the top. And at the top of it is about their commitment to making your ride experience better. And now, just below that, hashtag Grab Durian. Now, if you live in Asia, you need to know what durian is. It's a stinky fruit. Asians love it. They absolutely love it. I don't mind it, actually. I don't mind the smell now. It takes a lot of getting used to, but taste-wise, I think it tastes most like onion custard. So you can imagine, it's a love or hate relationship. So Grab are delivering durian. They're delivering Mao Shan Wang durian, which is like one of the, the better durians, I believe. But these are expensive, right? I mean, people are paying like 50 to several hundred bucks for this fruit, this knobbly fruit, and they go crazy over it, and they have durian festivals. Okay, so... I got this message from Grab about durian on my app. And it basically means now that Grab doesn't have to spend millions on billboard hoardings or TV ads to reach me. It knows who I am already. So why does it need to do that again? So Grab has now saved millions on advertising. What is it going to do with that money? It's the same with Gojek. Same problem. But it may be even bigger because Gojek offers a whole bunch of different services. Now with Gojek, the same thing. I can start receiving messages from Gojek offering durian delivery. It doesn't need to spend millions on that. It just pings me a message on the Gojek app. The issue now is why Grab 
why Gojek? Why would I listen to Grab and not Gojek? What is the difference? Because they're all doing the same thing. They are all effectively in the same business. And Grab also wants to become a digital travel company. So the flip side of digital transformation is now everybody is doing everything. How about that? Grab, AirAsia, Gojek, Alibaba. They have a travel platform they've invested in called Fliggy. And they're obviously deep in the ride sharing space as well. All of these companies are going to be doing the same thing. So how do you differentiate between A, B, C, and D? It's like, how do you differentiate between Coke and Pepsi? Now, Pepsi actually tastes better than Coke. And tests have reinforced this. But when people told the subjects which brand they drank before they drank the cola, Coke tasted better. So in blind taste test, Pepsi tasted better. But when people knew the brand, the brand actually changed the taste. Coke tasted better by a factor of four to one. So differentiating between AirAsia, Grab, Gojek, Alibaba, Meijuan, WeChat, etc., Tencent, Amazon, all of these guys, the differentiating factors are going to be less about the ingredients of these companies because the ingredients will effectively all be the same at the end of the day. They're all going to offer payments. They're all going to offer banking, insurance, ride sharing, movies, everything. They're all going to be doing the same thing. The ingredients will not therefore be a differentiating point in the way that they used to be in the old days. They're now all going to be doing the same thing, selling the same cola. What differentiates all of these companies is going to be their story. And we've already established that advertising is not as effective as it once was. A, in the fact that you don't need now to go out and blast random strangers with messages because you know who these people are already. And secondly, random strangers are not picking up on responding to inauthentic advertising messages because we know those people aren't real people. We know they are actors. We're getting tired of Instagram influencers. We want authentic. We want real. We want to know who you are what your background is, where you come from. We want to know what you do in terms of recycling plastic. We want to know how much money you're giving back to society. We want to know if you're good people. We want to know where you came from and your origin myth. All that storytelling is where podcasting comes in. And that is why I believe when I look at companies like Zero, AirAsia, and Gojek, they are ahead of the curve because these are three platform companies that are using podcasting to tell their story. Granted, it's early. We don't know fully how far this will go. But you've got to give it to them. They're doing the right thing at the right time. Grab versus Gojek is a great example. Grab is the Huawei of the ride-sharing world. A faceless platform that nobody really knows. All we know about Grab, by contrast to Gojek, is it has a green logo. That's it. Some people know that it originated in Malaysia and now is 
incorporated in Singapore. That's all we know. As much as probably most people know that Huawei is actually Chinese and not Japanese or Korean. Yet, think about what that then does for the company. Because at some point in time, that platform is going to run up against trouble. Because the more that it occupies in our daily lives, the more it's going to alert people that something could go wrong. Okay, Grab is not building out the infrastructure of the internet like Huawei was, but Grab has your identity. Grab has your payment details. Grab is with you every single step of your life. Can you imagine what PR clusterfucks exist lying in wait for Grab? God knows. And that is the problem. These brands are faceless and they need to humanize themselves for so many different reasons to engage customers, to engage their ecosystem partners, and importantly, to protect the downside. Because all it takes is one politician who is pissed off some form or another by a platform and then to start lobbying to legislate to shut these people down, to close off their operations in certain areas. These guys cannot have payment systems if they're leaking billions of people's data sets. So you can imagine the potential downside for a platform not humanizing their brand. So when Gojek does it, I say, well done, Gojek. Good for you because you are doing exactly the right thing. You are protecting the downside and covering your ass when the, the shit hits the fan. You now have people on your side. Now we know who the founder of Gojek is because he's actually hosting the podcast, talking about his people. So we get to know him. And when we get to know him, we get to forgive him in the same way that oh, we know Steve Jobs, yet you know Apple wields a lot of power in our daily lives, but how forgiving people were of Steve Jobs or even Microsoft, because we know the founders, Amazon, you know, how forgiving people are of Amazon, even though it does a lot of bad things, like any trillion dollar company, it's going to do bad things. That's natural. It's unavoidable. It does so many things that a percentage of them are not going to work out. But the fact we know Jeff Bezos, the fact we've seen photos of Jeff Bezos with the, the hand-sprayed Amazon.com sign above his old 1995 PC, we forgive him. But Grab doesn't have that luxury. And that is why I feel podcasting fills that gap for brands not only to build ecosystems, to engage their ecosystems, to plant a flag for their ecosystem, but also to protect their downside. All it takes is one PR story to blow the, the, the PR goodwill out of the water, to rally people against you, especially if it's not your hometown. Imagine if Grab were in Vietnam and there was an issue, a story run about a taxi driver and a young girl getting the Grab taxi back late at night some issue, some story, some negative PR. And now suddenly people are out on the streets trying to get grab banned with a little bit of help from the local taxi companies. Now they've got the political willpower and momentum to control grab. 
Now they're the good guys and Grab are the bad guys, the outsiders, the foreigners, the invaders. And how that plays to, you know, stories told generations through generations of bad foreigners coming into our, our country and messing things up. You think about that. People live through archetypes. It's easy. Politicians touch us in that way. They know how to manipulate these archetypes and stories that exist throughout history. And the only way to avoid that is to humanize your brand and not be that. Because when you're faceless, anybody can draw your face. Gojek now has a face. It has a voice. It has a sound. And it's interesting. They have a lot of work to do. But nobody can now go and draw a face on that Gojek faceless entity. And that is key. And I think about that throughout Asia. All these brands now. Samsung. Now, Samsung are a bit old school, but very faceless. Now, think about all these brands coming out of China. WeChat. Who is the founder of WeChat? Not many people know Pony Ma. Not many people would be able to recognize him in public, except the Chinese. Alibaba, we've talked about. Jack Ma's done a great job. But... These brands have to go global. They have to. This is the challenge of the Asian century. And where I started this podcast today is that these brands have to leave their shores if they want to keep growing. You know, the Chinese market's crowded. They cannot compete in China alone. They've got to take it global. The outsized returns are no longer in tier two cities in China. The outsized returns are in the emerging markets or in Africa. How do these brands go to these places when they are faceless? Because they just become another Huawei with trouble lying in wait. They have to humanize that brand. And they want examples. Look at Gojek. Look at AirAsia. Look at Zero. These easily could be faceless brands. And they easily could be brands that are in the public spotlight for the wrong reasons. If you're an airline, there is only bad news. Nobody hears great news about airlines. You know, think about it. Yet, there only seems to be negative news, whether it is, you know, accidents or political maneuverings or job losses or strikes. That's an airline. Yet, to convey good news, you need to have a very highly, uh, high-profile public figure like Tony Fernandez to tell stories very publicly and to do it in an authentic way. And he does that very well. And how that allows him that sort of bandwidth of forgiveness. So really what I'm doing today is just setting up the scene for Asia's Hair podcast and what we need to talk about, which is the Asian century, digital transformation, and how podcasting plays a role in that. Now, podcasting is just one tool for storytelling, but I believe it is possibly the most effective tool. A, you're listening to me now. We're having this conversation. I'm happy to receive your emails. You can hit me up at graham, G-R-A-H-A-M, at A-T-P dot show. Anything that you want to discuss about this podcast, I'm happy to be in conversation, have a conversation with you, because that's what it's about. You know, this is not just a one-way street. This is a conversation starter. I plant a flag. People rally around the flag. 
and we talk and that discussion, that flag is about digital transformation, Asia and podcasting. There is so much headroom left in this market. Look at the numbers. And by the way, if you haven't got my report yet, go and grab yourself a copy of this report. It is free. 71 slides about podcasting in Asia. It's called Podcasting 2020, a playbook for Asia, because I'm going to be sharing insights from my journeys, from my conversations, from my interactions with you, the listeners and people in my network about Asia, about podcasting, about digital transformation on this podcast every week. So Asia Tech Podcast, every week, we're going to talk about the latest trends in digital transformation, Asia and podcasting. So go and get yourself a copy of this report because it will help put a lot of these conversations in context. And it's free. So I'm not asking you for any money. You just go and have to download it and you can get yourself a copy at atp.show slash report. atp.show slash report. Go and put your email address in there and I'll email you a copy of that report. Now, here, here's why that report is going to be useful to you and also some of the issues we're going to talk about in coming uh, episodes of Asia Tech Podcast. One, now, if you are an advertiser, you want to understand podcasting, the data's there, particularly if you're looking at the Asian market. If you're a content owner too, then here is a teardown of how a content owner can leapfrog the internet advertising space and go straight to podcasting because the challenge is for you guys let's say you're a newspaper your challenge is is that you're getting your ass handed to you by facebook and google because facebook and google own internet advertising why would i as a procter and gamble advertise on a newspaper when i can go and run ads on facebook a lot more targeted that is the challenge that traditional media has could be me it could be newspapers it could be radio could be magazines and yet that is no small market in the US alone that market's worth around 50 billion dollars advertising advertising not paid content not subscription advertising so advertisers are putting 50 billion dollars into radio newspapers and magazines in the US we haven't even talked about TV yet 50 billion annually now, all that's going to go away because of Facebook and Google. So how can we protect that? How can we grow that? A key point in this story is, have a look at the report. There's a really interesting case study, two case studies. One, which I'll share with you now, is NPR. NPR is a radio network in the US, and it happens to be the biggest podcaster in the US, which is really interesting because... You would have thought podcasters come from the world of new media, but they don't. The biggest podcaster comes from radio. Well, it's natural. You can see why. But it means that the mindset isn't a stopping point here. That really, all this is about is taking great content that exists out there. And radio has amazing content. And the same as journalists, right? Journalists writing for newspapers. Amazing content. So you look at the fifth biggest podcaster in the US. It's New York Times. Take that content, put it onto podcasts, create podcasts out of it. Don't just reformat it. It's not like the old days of the web where web was like online magazines, online brochures. 
not just reformat, reformatting it, but taking that content and going deeper. So if I listen to, if I read an article in the news, maybe I want to go behind the article because, you know, what actually makes the cut is probably only about 10% of it, but there's 90% of it, like the director's cut. There's 90% that's left on the cutting room floor, literally, which makes a really interesting story. We want to know when you write a story, the backstory, I want to hear the voice of the writer, the journalist, the editor, and the discussions that what they went through, right? I want to hear them talk about it because that's the kind of depth that people want now. People want to know the backstory, the story behind the story. And that's where podcasting can come in because traditional media only has enough bandwidth, shelf space. It's a shelf space media model. It only has enough bandwidth to give you the front, the story, the clipped edited version, the soundbite, the snippet. But people don't want that. People want to go deep. And that's where podcasting can come in. So you can have content that goes out on your radio network or in your newspaper or your magazine. And then you can take that and go deeper on the podcast. And here's what's really interesting. And have a look at the case study in the report. And the report is on my website. Let's put the URL out there in case you forgot. atp.show slash report. atp.show slash report. Go and get yourself a copy. Just put your email in there. I'll email you a copy. Have a look at the data on NPR and look at how, for example, NPR's subscriber number, listener numbers, sorry, not subscribers, NPR's listener numbers have increased in the last four years. You know, I'm not talking about podcasts because NPR podcasts are massive. I'm talking about traditional listenership. So where in the world has a radio station or any traditional media actually increased their audience by factors of 100 to 200% in three to four years. It's very difficult to find. I think it probably doesn't exist. Oh yeah, it might exist if you started at zero, but I'm talking about a radio station that already had like one and a half million listeners. Now, how did it take its, its listenership from one and a half million to five million in four years? And there is no coincidence that that a lot of those people were coming from podcasts so what was happening is they have a podcast listenership of between 15 and 20 million so if you think about even the the a, per, a percentage of that if 20 percent of their podcast listenership on a regular basis came from the podcast, then went and listened to NPR on the radio, NPR would treble, so three times, 300%, their listenership on traditional radio. Now, that is actually happening. So now it means, wow, where else could that work? Where else could we take our IP go deep into podcasts and then drive back that listenership or viewership or readership onto our traditional media. I'm thinking there are 
thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of media owners who could benefit from this. And the benefit doesn't just stop there. Have a look at the report because it's not just about listenership. It's about ad real estate, the whole Facebook, Google thing. I could now go, if I was a media owner, I could go to my advertisers and say, all right, you can advertise on our magazine and on our podcast. You can advertise on our radio and we'll do a special on our podcast. Facebook and Google don't own that space yet. And it's not necessarily a cannibalization of revenues either. It's a it's a, an upsell. So these ad sales teams could upsell podcasts to traditional media players. And the upsell is obviously out there. The business case is there. If you have a look at the report, it's in there. But think about the real knock-on effect of creating that omnichannel audience that listens to radio and podcasts. So the third reason why you should read the report is how does this affect Asia? What does it mean to Asia? Because no doubt we are behind the rest of the world when it comes to podcasting the real pioneers, the NPRs, This American Life, New York Times, Joe Rogan, all these people come from the US. No no coincidence. But the question now is, will this work in Asia? Because if it works in Asia, there's two really interesting factors. One, Asia is big. We know that. Those are the numbers I hit you with at the beginning. And two, Asia has a very large storytelling gap meaning that there is a greenfield opportunity for brands to invent themselves here. You know, you you have three and a half billion potential middle class by 2030 who are maybe the first generation of middle classes in their families, the first generation to send their kids to university, the first generation to have a mortgage or even luxuries like life assurance or health assurance. They're not going to buy the soap powders that their mom and dad's bought. They're not going to drive the same car. They're not going to bank with the same banks. So there's this huge storytelling gap, which allows people to tell us stories about their brand, not based on legacy. In the West, for example, you're constrained by legacy. This is your brand. We know you. This is what you've been doing for the last 30 years. And I know that because my mom used to buy that brand. And it's very difficult to break out of that. Brands try and they fail. Often they get pushback from the consumers. So they often have to launch a new brand or a sub-brand or even an entirely different brand. So that legacy can restrict them. Yet here in Asia, there's less of that. There's more license to be whoever you want to be. And that also allows these platforms to play in that space. Why not be a bank? You know, if you have a a perception about what a bank should be, then that may be hard to challenge. If you've grown up understanding that banks usually have these large sort of George, neo-Georgian buildings with the pillars and columns on the high street, and they had, you know, staff who wore uniforms and they were multinational and they were billion dollar brands that have been around forever, then it's going to be hard to challenge that. But like here in Asia, there's less of that. Why not Alibaba? Why not WeChat? 
Why can't they be banks? Why can't AirAsia be a bank? So if we look at Asia, there are two main factors. A is the markets of billions, the middle classes, the growth here in Asia right now. The secondly is the storytelling gap. That greenful opportunity for brands to come in here and tell those stories. And they're not buying the Instagram influencers like they used to buy the housewives on the doorstep. There's case studies in the report about peak influence, as I call it. We're reaching peak influence, which means like influencer marketing has reached its peak because it's only going to increase in supply and demand remains pretty static. So that's Asia. The question being that I started this off with is, will Asians listen to podcasts? I hear it all the time. Oh, we're too busy. I don't have time to listen to a podcast. I don't have five minutes. Yet, people are happy to sit for an hour in Starbucks, talk with their friends. People have time for what matters. That is a truism. It's a fact. So, the point being that people don't have time for what they think doesn't matter. A lot of people think podcasting doesn't matter, and that's fine because podcasting is not for them. And that is where it takes brands like Spotify to come into Asia and educate the market as they are doing, and particularly in countries like Japan. So will Asians listen to podcasts? And the answer is yes, it's in the report. And the data points that I use for this, one of them being Korea. So in Korea, 55% of the population listen to some form of podcast. 55%. Now, Korea isn't any way unique to the extent that you couldn't export that culture to the rest of Asia. It's not so distinct that it's a red herring or an outlier. Korea is quite similar culturally to Japan. I know there are a lot of distinctions, but having lived in Japan, I can confidently say there is a lot of similarities. And Korea and China as well have a lot of similarities. Culturally, they have inherited a lot of the culture from, you know, th these, these three countries have an a lot of cross-cultural pollination over the centuries, more than they will individually give credit for. But the point being is that 55% of the population in Korea listen to podcasts. Why? Well, it's just an advanced market. Go and have a look at the report for more insight into that data. It's the most advanced market in the world. So when people say Asians don't listen to podcasts, point them to this report, point them to Korea and say, well, that's just proved you wrong because they do, and a lot of them do. And it just basically means that if it works in America and it works in Korea, it's likely to work everywhere. Maybe not North Korea. That really is an outlier. But we're going to see it happen all over Asia. It's just a matter of time. Now, how big can it be when you've got three and a half, four billion, four and a half billion potential listeners out there that is the really exciting part of Asia. And that is why I feel that everything that we are learning from the US 
and the rest of the world about podcasting can be imported to Asia and made better. And that is the history of Asia. If you listen to any of my podcasts about the Asian century, that is what we're good at here in Asia. Whether it is the Japanese in the 70s and 80s importing ideas from Detroit and making them better in their cars or making better electronics, which undoubtedly they did, and exporting them back to the rest of the world, or the Chinese more recently importing ideas from other countries, even the Japanese, and making them better. Look at the bullet trains, for example. That is what Asia does very, very well. It learns from the rest of the world, imports it here, makes it better, and then exports it to even bigger markets. And that is why I'm excited about podcasting here in Asia, because we're only just getting started. This is a greenfield market with huge potential upside. If we address the issue of do Asians listen to podcasts, we've done that. Did we address the issue of will podcasting work in Asia? Absolutely, because you're seeing brands like AirAsia, Gojek, Zero already on the case. Now it's just a question of execution. So if you want help with that, take a look at the report because I've put data case studies in there about execution and how it works. And, you know, if you're selling that case internally for podcasting, here are the slides ready made for you. You can hit me up, Graham, G-R-A-H-A-M at pitch.sg, which is my company, Pitch Media Asia. You can go and check out the the website, if you want to get a report for Asia Tech Podcast, go to atp.show. Listen to the other podcasts. Go and download the report, atp.show slash report. And subscribe to us on SoundCloud or any of the platforms. You can go and grab all our links to the platforms. If you're on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, you're on SoundCloud. We are all there on atp.show. Go and click the podcasts link. And go and subscribe to our channel because I will be sharing insights like this on Digital Transformation Asia and podcasting every week. And I would also love to hear your feedback and your questions. So hit me up, Graham at pitch.sg. My name is Graham Brown. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. We've been talking about digital transformation, Asia and podcasting. And we're getting ready for 2020. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.